Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Last week we started with submit to one another and boiled it down to submitting to one another is loving one another. Uh, You know, yes, the husband, I want to be clear, yes, the husband is the head of the wife. That's what scripture says. Yes, it is that way primarily because man was created first and then woman was created second. That's really the description. Yes, that she is to uh, honor him in everything. But let me ask you, what does that look like? What does that actually mean? Because when I hear that taught, different perspectives, you'll hear it taught where it's like, well, what that means is the man, when it comes down to it, the man is the one that's supposed to make all the important decisions. Does God make all your decisions for you? If the husband is supposed to love the wife, as Christ loved the church, are you, are you with me? It's like, show me in Scripture where it says that the man is supposed to make all the important decisions. Have you heard that talk? Like, like, raise your hand. I want to see, seriously, if you've heard that. Isn't that weird? Look around. Where'd we get that from? People just made that stuff up. If, it's, if it is authority, if the, if the husband, if you want to say the husband has authority over the wife, you can say that. That's fine. I'm not going to take that away from you. But what does that look like? How does Jesus exercise his authority over the church? Set us free so free that we could walk away from him if we wanted to. Gave us everything that he has to give before we ever even asked for it. Continually ministers to us, placed his essence within us to shape, you know, to to give us life, to give us truth and wisdom. Continually, no matter what you do to him. If that's what it looks like for Christ to have authority over us, that's what it should look like for the husband to have authority over the wife. Now, it uses the word head. I don't see that as authority. I just see that as order. That's just God's order. There's a natural order to things. If you want to call it authority, that's absolutely fine. But don't be using that bat of authority to beat your wife over the head into submission. If you would just obey me, our house would be in proper order. Well, do you see Jesus doing that to you? What does he say? You're forgiven. No condemnation. Now, let's deal with your stuff. Relationship first. Are you with me? So we went into the top five. I mean, I'm telling you, that's good stuff. That feeds me. The top five list, I'm not going to ask you if you did it because I know a lot of you forgot. That's okay. You get busy. But the top five list is you both make your top five lists of what causes you to, what your spouse can do for you to feel loved and respected. Now, not happy. You're not supposed to make a list to give to your spouse that says, this is what you can do to make me happy. No, that ain't the way it works. It's loved and respected. It's, do you know what, you know what blessed means? It basically just means happy. You know, the way that you're happy is that you know how blessed you are in Christ. If you're not happy, you're not connecting to Christ and understanding the blessing of, being, of him living within you. 
That's sermon number 4B. I'm just giving you a bunch of different things right here to think about. But I'm telling you, it's true. Nobody can make you happy. You might not even be able to make you happy. We can see it on your face. One person got it. This is not, this is what you need to do to make me happy. No, this is because we love each other, because we are one in Christ, because we have taken vows toward each other and we love each other, you may or may not know, I really like to get flowers. I really like to have foot rubs every now and then. I really like to have to not worry about the car. Could you just take care of the car for me? Women said amen. I don't know, maybe you like to take care of the car. That was, didn't mean anything by that. <laughs> you never know these days. So this is not a list of what you want changed about your spouse. It's not a, this is not your opportunity to rake them over the coals. This is an opportunity for to you to show them, okay, if you want are a more thriving relationship, these are, top, these are things. And it should be simple. It shouldn't be a discourse of, you know, judgment about each other's pasts. So this week I want to talk about becoming one flesh. Now, Paul calls this a mystery, so I'm not going to try to explain. Like, like I'm not going to try to tell you what that exactly means because Paul even calls it a mystery. Paul goes into great detail to describe and explain doctrine, but when he gets to marriage, it's a mystery. I, I think Paul was married. Anyway, Genesis 127, we'll kind of set the frame here of what we're looking at. Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. You catch that? He created him, meaning mankind. It's almost like God looks at us as mankind, but there's a male and female component. That, that again, it's mystery, right? So anything that I say is just kind of what's on my heart and what's on my mind about this. You can call it, you know, two equal representation representations of the character and the attributes and the nature of God in two different reflections of humanity. That sounds pretty good. I don't know. We'll go with that one. But you know what I mean? It's like God created us male and female. Are you with me? Not male, female. That's not how I see it. It's male and female, right? And so let's keep going here. Genesis 2. Uh, verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with, with, the, with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is where we're going today. There's two statements in these next two verses that I want you to just think about as we go through these things. Because I want you to decide for yourself what it looks like in your marriage and in your relationships to be one flesh with your spouse. Like there's something about that. All week long I've been thinking about this and every time I'd say one flesh, there's a pause there. And it's like, 
Yes, there are some top-level intellectual informational things that I understand about that, but it's like I feel like God has been showing me what it means to be more knitted to my wife, to Sarah, in the midst of this, one flesh. So that's going to be your homework this week is to just meditate on this one flesh thing. What does that mean? What does that look like for you? So the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Because we're going to get down to where Paul says the man who loves his wife is like loving himself. There's a oneness there that I don't know that we live. I think we are so disconnected with ourselves and with our relationship with God that it's really hard to connect with another person. All right. The, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. You know, in Hebrew, it's ish and isha. It's like karis and karisma. There's, there's a connection there that one is an expression of the other, and there's a oneness. So verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. What does that mean for you? Just think about it. One flesh. What does one flesh look like to you? The word united there uh, means joined together or stick together. You know, like you're, you're literally stuck together. Now, that's good for some people. For some people, you feel stuck together. But there's a way out. Love and respect. Let's go down to Ephesians 5, read this long passage here, and then I'll get to some practical stuff. Ephesians 5, we read this last week. Starts off, submit to one another. You know, too often when we talk about marriage and relationship, this is, it gets left out. You know, I don't know how much you've encountered these concepts and these ideas in ministry or seminars or whatever, but submit to one another gets left out. A lot of times they start in verse 22 for some reason. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christ being the center. You know, this idea of becoming one flesh for me all week long has been this idea of, you know, it, it, this sounds bad, but I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm still kind of working through this myself, but it's like, how have I left reverence for Christ out of my marriage? W what does it look like to have reverence for Christ as I submit to Sarah? It has to do with this oneness thing. It has to do with knowing that we are so one with him that he unites himself to us. God, who is the most intimate being in existence, the most personal, the most influential being in existence, what he does is when we express our faith to what Jesus did for us, he joins himself to us. Inwardly, we become one with him. That is such a union that I don't, you know, we don't even pray from that union. We're praying as if God is out here waiting for him to show up. You know, we pray, we pray asking to, for God to give us things that he's already given us. And it's not even about things. 
It's about recognizing that God is life. God is provision. And as I recognize who he is, who he is, that becomes reflected in my life. It's not that I need to go and this perceived sense of lack and get something out of him to meet this need. Are you with me? So in reverence toward God, knowing this oneness, what does that look like when I submit to Sarah and she submits to me? Now, again, I'm still working through these kinds of things, but I'm going to take, I'm going to do the homework with you because I want us this week, those of us that are married, to write some things down. What does it mean to be united, glued together, stuck together, joined together in reverence of Christ, submitting to one another? So then we go into wives, submit your wives, submit to submit yourselves to your own husbands. Isn't that interesting? To your own husband. I wonder why I put that in there. As you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Again, if you see that as authority, that's fine. But ask yourself, how does Jesus exercise his authority over his bride? Freedom. Amen? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. How does the church submit to Christ? We love him because he first loved us. We say yes and amen to what he has done because he has done something. Are you with me? It's a response. Uh, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her. Now, this is not the husband making his wife holy. This is a description of what Christ has done for the church as an example of the lengths to which the husband can go through for the wife. Because the husband is not making the wife holy. Only the blood of Christ can do that. Amen? All right. To make her holy, cleansing her, uh, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. There it is again, this one flesh thing. Loving your wife is like loving yourself. Respecting your husband is like respecting yourself. He who loves his wife loves himself. You know, I don't think that that's just a, a poetic phrase of saying, because you're married, if you love your wife, it's like loving yourself. No, if you're loving your wife, you are loving yourself because that's how one we have become. Now, again, it's a mystery. I don't understand all that, but this is what he's saying. After all, no one ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his... And this is quoting back to Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as himself. Now, to say as he loves himself is fine, but think of, read it as taking out he loves, must love his wife 
as himself. That's, that is what it says a little bit earlier. So we're not, you know, we're not changing scripture. We're just reading it in such a way that it makes more sense to us. One flesh. Uh, and, must, and wife must respect her husband. If you ever wonder what marriage should be, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. All right. So the word uh, united there is the Greek word proskalao. Uh, proskalao. Something like that. It, and it literally means glued to. You know, think about that. Think about the strongest glue you can imagine. The stuff that they're putting on TV that you can't take it, nothing, separate, you know. You're glued to one another. And almost like, you know, where your spirits are commingled. I mean, you're still your own person, but you are connected. Amen? So the word love here actually means to take pleasure in the thing. Husbands, love your wives. Do you take pleasure in that? Now, I'll just keep going. Prize it above other things. We've got teenagers in here. I'll make it PG rated. Some husbands are prizing other things above their wives. For what? I mean, you know, I get it. We all struggle, but what value is that really? You know, we go through these programs, we try to tweak our flesh, we try to obey, but if it's about love towards your spouse, if it's about doing, letting Christ be in you, through you, towards your spouse, that's satisfying. I mean, I can think of some Proverbs that say, husbands, be satisfied with your wife, you know, and it gets really specific. Again, teenagers back there, I don't know, maybe I could say it, I don't know. Husband, some, anyway, we'll keep going. Love your wife, still to have preference for, wish well to, regard the welfare of. You know, so when you're making these lists, are you wishing well your spouse in this list? Or is it, I don't know what's wrong with you, but if you do all these things, then I'll be happy. I was like, no, there's got to be this mutual. Where's the relationship in your list? So this is how I want to end this today and break down something practical. But here's the idea. You have to communicate. Communicate in such a way where love seeks to understand before seeking to be understood. Does that make sense to you? And you've probably heard this said before, but it's true. Because when you're making these lists and when you're communicating and when you're wanting to go deeper in your marriage, I don't even just mean fixing problems. I mean, your you know, we all want a deeper relationship with God. I think we should want the same things for our marriage, a deeper relationship with our spouse, a relationship that deep, more deeply reflects Christ within both of us toward the world as a testimony to the world of Christ within us. You know, I don't want to just preach ought to, but think about that. When you're going through these lists, are you just disseminating information and expectations, or are you seeking to understand where your spouse is? And it takes communication. 
It takes communication to sit down and actually talk, not at each other, with each other. If any of you have your spouse say back to you, you're not hearing me. If they're telling you, you're not hearing me, you're not hearing them. That means you've got to be a safe person in a safe place for your spouse or your loved ones. You know, you can put this in whatever it looks like for your relationships. You have to be a safe place for them to be honest with you. And if you don't know if you're a safe person, ask people around you. They may or may not tell you. You might not be safe enough to tell anyway. <laughs> it takes communication. Remember, judgment. You know, we just had Jim here not that long ago. This book, How to Stop the Pain, that's phenomenal. But when seeking to understand before seeking to understood, don't let yourself slip into judgment. Judgment in function toward one another can be uh, when you assume to know someone else's motives. When you assume to know why they are doing what they are doing. And a lot of times, especially marriages that go on for a while, and we continually hurt each other, we get to a place that's like, well, you're doing that because you don't love me, but you never say it. And you may never even address what they're doing that causes you to feel disrespected or unloved. Communicate. Say communicate. communicate. That's rule number one, and it absolutely has to be. But judgment creeps in when we feel like that we've said the same thing to our spouse over and over and over and over and over, nothing changes. You got to break through that and get down to where you're honoring this connection that God says that you have, that you are in spiritually with one another, and communicate your way through that. And, it, you know, so you ask questions. And I don't mean questions like, um, did you mean to be a jerk when you said that to me? <laughs> you know, it's more like, you said this, made me feel this way. What did you mean? Or did you mean to make me feel that way? Now, and the response shouldn't be, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. If you own it, hopefully it's, gosh, I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. Now, it is not your responsibility to make your spouse feel a certain way other than correcting if it's been miscommunicated. Did you follow me in that? So if, if you're continually doing something and they just, you just don't understand it, you, I mean, you'd be surprised. I've sat in my office with lots of couples, and when they start talking, 10 years have gone by, and, and they'll say things to each other, and they're surprised that they, well, I didn't know you felt that way. Well, you, I tried to tell you. But the way they tried to tell was, say, some snarky, sarcastic thing that didn't really, wasn't really something that you could put your, your you know, hooks into and do something with. Are you with me? If you are one with this person, if you are to love one another to the degree to which Christ loves us, put forth the effort to dig through all that stuff. Man, we let so much stuff get built up between us that we don't take the time to go in there and do the surgery that it takes to go deep and figure these things out and communicate with one another. Man, if that is... Your oneness, if this person has been united to you, if you're married, man, you owe it to each other to go there. You owe it to yourself. I dare say you owe it to God to go there, to clean that junk up and get the stuff out of the way 
and deal with it and be honest. Not hurtful, not spiteful, although when you're honest, it might hurt, but you got to be honest. So I want to give you an opportunity to dream together, and this is, we're going to end on this, this idea of dreaming together. So I have a question for you. Do you know your spouse's passions? Do you know what their dreams are? They may not know themselves, but you start talking about it, you help each other refine and define that. Now, they should have their, you should have your own dreams independent from each other, but they should dovetail together as well, just like I think God does with us. He has called us into things, but there are things that our heart just beats for, right? So dreaming together looks like this. Do you know what they love to do? Do you know what they would do if money, health, time were no issue? And are you helping them experience that? So here's your homework. Find out. This is your other homework. You know, because I gave you some homework that's kind of like, what am, I, what am I supposed to do? Meditate one flat on it. You may or may not get something out of that. But this I hope you do. And practice it with loved ones if you're not married. Practice it with your family. Find out what they love. Find out what their passions are. And talk about it. So here's your homework. And life group leaders, you may do this as well. Um, you know, this is always a good exercise. You've probably done something like this. But, but tell each other, if money, health, and time were not an issue, this is what I would do. This is where I would live. And get as detailed as you can, as you want to. Now, don't be, you know, super idealistic about it where it's like, I would move to Calcutta and save the world. You know, I mean, that's not really helpful. Because how are you going to help somebody do that, right? <coughs> but be specific. Find out what your spouse loves. Be interested in it. Discover what, the, you know, help them understand. Help them create time to go that direction. Man, that's one of the greatest things you can do for each other is shift your schedule for your spouse to go a specific direction, and hopefully they don't leave you. <laughs> <laughs> That was a delayed response. Did somebody say something back there? That was weird. Y'all laugh. I mean, I... Some, some spouses have felt so controlled for so long that when they do start experiencing freedom, they're like, ooh, I don't know. You know, you got to be ready for anything. You got to be committed to this loving relationship. Resting in that idea of being one flesh. I mean, every, every time, even now, every time I say that idea, one flesh, there's, there's like revelation. I know that God is teaching me, but I don't know what it is specifically. Like that, a lot of times that's how it starts with me. I'll feel something and it just feels like, oh, yeah, there's something going on here. He's building something up within me. I'm getting revelation right now. I can't. Until I can't uh, articulate it per se, but he's doing something within me. So I'm going to let him. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let it pass. And as I get revelation, I'm going to write it down because it's going to be something that's going to be life-giving and bring glory to him. Amen? Yeah. So I'm with you. you know, I'm with you in this. But do that. Find out what your spouse loves, what your best friend loves, whatever it is. Ask them that question. Define it for each other. This is what I would do. And then help them start moving in that direction. And you watch what it does to, to, to support each other.
you know, those of you that are having trouble and having difficulties, this is a good way to, pro you know, good way to not talk about the problem, but talk about a solution, a future different than your past, a future rather than the past. Are you with me? Yes. Dream together. Be honest with each other. Communicate. And, and let the glory of being one flesh be reflected through you. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you give us your spirit. When we say yes to you, when we acknowledge what you did through Christ for us, you join yourself to us. And we, we want to constantly nurture that relationship. We want to be fed by you. We want to be shaped and transformed and influenced by you. But we also want to honor this union that we have with our spouses. Out of reverence for you, we want to submit to one another in our marriages. Father, thank you for just ideas and opportunities that you give us to sow into each other, to nurture that union. But I, I ask that you give us a deeper understanding of that union. Because there's something in it that as we experience it together, you are glorified through us. And that's, that's really all we want. We want you to be glorified in our lives. May you be glorified in our marriages as we open our hearts to you and make room for you. Amen.